0: Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. Today my guest is Bob Malkin, and Bob is a member of AGLCA who has written a few articles for our Great Loop link, which is our, if you're not a member, it is the association's electronic newsletter slash e-magazine. And Bob's got an article in the next issue, the April issue that comes out uh, next week. And it covers kind of cruise planning uh, for your day-to-day cruise planning while on the Great Loop. And we get lots and lots of questions about this. So I was really thrilled when I saw Bob's article because it answers a lot of those questions about how you decide where you're heading the next day. So while you're at home and you're, you know, you're doing your kind of um, 20,000 foot planning for the Great Loop, you may be looking at things that are of interest to you, um, but really the day-to-day nitty-gritty of what the waterway in front of you holds for you um, and how to analyze that and decide a plan is really what Bob covers. So um, it's a great topic and that's why after I, I saw the preview of what's going to be in the Great Loop link, I asked Bob to join me today for the podcast Before we officially bring Bob into the conversation, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, PassageMaker Trawlerfest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And uh, now officially to welcome Bob Malkin to the podcast. Bob, thanks for joining me today.
1: Well, thanks, Kim, for having me on. It's a great pleasure.
0: Yeah, and, and you uh, wrote an article that we published a few months back on um, kind of making it a, some tips and making it a little bit easier to dock at fixed piers, which often right. tend to be the ones that are free. Um, and that was great. And we, uh, we wanted to bring you onto the podcast uh, almost as a preview of this next article because you did a great job of covering that day-to-day cruise planning. But to start off with, for those who have not met you or don't know, know you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your boating experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Kim, I'd be glad to. So um, I've been boating, I think, all my life. In fact, my first memories are my arms wrapped around the mast and my my sister at the tiller. Um, but more recently, I've been boating with my wife now for about 20 years, um, on the uh, mostly on the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway. We have been sailing most of that, so we've had several sailboats. Right now, we are just moving off of a 38-foot sailing catamaran, and we're moving to a uh, motor yacht, an aft cabin motor yacht. So we've sailed from about uh, Portsmouth or Norfolk down to the Keys, out to the Bahamas and the western part of Florida. Now, to finish the Great Loop, we're going to switch over to a motor yacht and do kind of up the Mississippi, Tentom, and the rest.
0: Nice. So um, looping in segments, so to speak, as we're seeing, is, is more and more common. And you plan to go um, clockwise upriver on the inland rivers?
1: That is our current plan is mm-hmm. to go clockwise. In fact, we're actually thinking of going up to Pittsburgh, which isn't that common of a side destination, but um, so we may be going up the Ohio.
0: Yeah, and, and Pittsburgh is not a common side destination, but um, a few loopers who have done it, we've actually had some presentations about the, the side trip to Pittsburgh, which is a long side trip, Right. Um, but it's some of our rendezvous and it's, it's a great side trip, um, probably a whole summer season, but certainly if you have the time, um, A wonderful side trip. Um, So tell us, Bob, what made you decide to sit down and write about this topic of your day-to-day cruise planning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe aren't all that familiar with boating or haven't done a lot of boating in the past, they may think of, you know, planning a day on the water like they plan a day to go shopping. You know, you punch it up on your GPS, on your phone, you hop in the car and you go it's more complicated in the water. Uh, There are a lot of factors like bridges, inlets, weather that can change your day-to-day planning. And what can happen is that couples and other crew um, get stressed. Uh, Things go wrong, the weather changes or it's not what you expected. And one of the ways that you can really help to reduce that stress is having a great plan. Um, You know, doing the Great Loop is a fabulous adventure. It's not supposed to be fabulously stressful. It's supposed to be fabulously fun, and it really can be. One of the ways you can reach that is just a great daily plan. It really helps you reduce the stress.
0: So, and as I said in the intro, we get a lot of questions about this kind of daily plan because you're right, and, and it's not the same as planning a weekend shopping trip in your car, but it's also really not the same as just planning any other day out on your boat, um, you know, if you've been cruising locally, if you're planning on just taking the boat out for a few hours and coming back to the dock, it's really a very different thing um, than planning to make, you know, a certain amount of distance or progress each day. And you know, we get all kinds of questions about how long does it take to get from point A to point B. And I think part of what this process will show is why that's an impossible question to answer because there's so many different factors. And to really plan for the next day, um, you need to consider them. So. Um, you kind of start off by list, you know, a lot of information gathering has to actually happen before you start the actual plan part. So you list some tools that will uh, help you collect that data for making your day plan. So kind of um, start off with the basics of the tools that you need um, and some of the resources you use to collect those data points for your plan.
1: Yeah. So basically if you're going to be doing the loop every day that you're going to be in motion the next day, probably the evening before you're going to be doing your planning. Most people are going to be sitting down in their salon or perhaps at the captain's lounge. And you're right, you're going to need to gather some specific tools. I think the spot for everyone to start is weather. It's probably the strongest influence on how your day is going to go, how your next day is going to go. And by weather, I don't mean, you know, it's going to be sunny and 75 tomorrow that's nice, but actually doesn't influence your boating day very much. Um, A lot of what is gonna influence your boating day is the wind and the waves. Uh, There are lots of great tools for getting that. uh, Windy, Predict wind. of course the National Weather Service gives that kind of marine forecast. You can also get it from Weather Underground, Um, XM or InReach if you're using satellites, and of course your, your VHF radio. Those are all great ways to get the weather Uh, What you're gonna be looking for though, again, is things about the wind and the waves. Temperature, that's kind of nice to know, but it's really the wind and the waves that are critical.
0: Yeah, and the marine weather is a great place to start because that also is probably the first thing that's gonna tell you right there, tomorrow's not a day to be leaving the dock. Um, So you can avoid spending the time on the rest of the plan if you know the marine weather is is really not suitable for a comfortable cruising day. Um, We could spend, gosh, multiple episodes of this podcast just talking about the different resources for marine weather. Um, and that's not our mission here today. So if, you know, Bob, I did mention a few of the more popular resources. Every looper seems to find, you know, their own comfort zone and um, most of it is different presentations of the same weather data, so to speak. Um, so we've got whole webinars on that topic. So we're not going to dive in deep into the different weather resources Um, the mission here is to let you know that you do need to check that marine weather um, for things like wind and waves, because that is absolutely going to affect your day plan. So, um, and that's going to be the case for these next series of tools and data points that that Bob's going to talk about. Um, Each of them, you know, could have hours of content by themselves, but we want to make you aware of what to gather. And as you become more experienced, you'll get comfortable with the sources you're using to gather those. So, Um, The next one is chart plotter and navigation software. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what you want to do with those as you're gathering your information for your plan.
1: Absolutely. So you might consider sitting at your helm and plotting the chart for the next day or the route for the next day. It's not all that comfy, though. And some fixed stations just aren't all that great at planning. But you will need planning software. You're going to need a planning chart plotter. Typically, that's going to be on a tablet or a laptop. And there's lots of great software available: OpenCPN, Mac C, Navionics, Aquamap. I have as you said, we could actually go on for hours on this. But you are going to need something, and just about all of them are going to give you access to all of the charts you're going to need for a great deep adventure.
0: Okay, um, and yeah, I do. I do like you know the idea that you can do this comfortably in your salon or, or somewhere else on a tablet. Um, and we'll get into exactly what you're looking for with these tools shortly. Um, but the next piece of information you're gonna want to make sure you have access to is for tides and currents. Any comments on you know why that's important as you're gathering your, your details?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So this is something a lot of people don't think about, but actually the tides and currents can really influence your day on the loop. Um, tide can influence, for example, whether you can fit under a bridge or whether you can fit over a shallow. And the currents can really affect, especially if you're going to do an inlet, Uh, those can be treacherous, depending on the current. Um, There's also some narrow passages that have high current. Um, Again, lots of great sources here. In fact, your planning chart plotter probably has that. But the governments, both Canadian and American governments, publish this data. Um, And for the Bahamas, the American government covers that as well. Um, and in fact, there's still paper publications. Some people like buying the books with all the tides and current information. That's fine too, but you're going to need that data.
0: Yeah. And in, in, for the, those of our members who have been primarily lake boaters and, and, you know, that's not something that they've ever really had to consider before. And, you know, here in Charleston, we can have such swift current, um, that even the most experienced captains often wait for, uh, slack current to approach a dock um, because it makes it much more challenging um, to get a boat in particularly an unfamiliar dock under unfamiliar uh, current situations. If it's ripping through there, it's it's gonna present a much bigger challenge. So that's something to also consider when you're looking at the tides and currents and and the part of the route that you're on. Um, A couple more that you suggest we check, um, sunrise and sunset.
1: Right, so uh, this is a little bit more complicated than some people think. First of all, sunrise and sunset, of course, Is important. And for most of the inland waterways, you should not be planning to boat probably less than an hour after sunrise and more than an hour before sunset. But actually, you want to take more note than that. Nautical sunrise and nautical sunset, that's when you absolutely cannot boat. Outside of those hours, you can't see. So you really can't safely boat on the waterway. And if something goes wrong, you have a you know, a lost engine or whatever the problem is, um, you, you need to know when is that absolute moment? Do I need to abort or am I going to make it to the dock tonight, even if it's a little marginal? So you want to note that And those times are actually a little bit complicated. Uh, you might think you could just, you know, look up sunrise and sunset on your watch, but actually there's anywhere from a half an hour to almost two hours difference across the Great Loop between nautical sunset and regular sunset. Um, however, there are plenty of good websites that have this, um, I like timeanddate.com, but there's also the .info, which are great sites. Uh, but you need to know those because that's going to be important for your planning. When are you going to leave and when must you arrive?
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, keeping in mind that things don't always go as planned. So you of course want to know, you know, even if you don't plan to be out anywhere close to sunset, it's still an important data point to know when that, that point is, Um, And then finally, the last tool that you recommend we have access to are guidebooks or websites. So what's the primary things we're going to be looking at in the guidebooks?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You need guidebooks. Um, You're going to need to be able, for example, pick a marina or an anchorage. You're going to need to know where the docks and locks are. You're going to need to know where the tide might be a problem or uh, shallows. These are all covered in the guidebooks. And there's lots of great ones. A lot of them are free online. Um, Active Captain is very popular. CruisersNet.net, the Waterway Guide. These are all great sources, and there are plenty of others, including published, and including mile to mile. Some people prefer the map kind of approach. Some people prefer mile to mile. For example, Skipper Bob goes mile by mile. Those are great resources too. And again, some people produce you know uh, prefer the published version, the online version. Those are great as well, both. But you are going to need a guidebook to help you decide. Uh, where you're going to be and what the issues are for the day.
0: Okay, so we've gathered the information. The next step is to really take those tools and start planning the route. But since there's kind of a natural break here, let's go ahead. It's a little bit earlier than we normally would, but let's go ahead and take a break and play a message from one of our sponsors. And then when we come back, we can start and run straight through how you're going to use all of that information to plan your route. So we'll be back in a moment.
2: Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.WinterHarborLLC.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA.
0: We're back on great loop radio my guest today is bob malkin and uh, bob has very graciously written an article coming out in the april great loop link that covers your day-to-day cruise planning while you're on the great loop and um, as we said it's a little different than planning a- another day out on the boat um, so as we covered in the first segment you are going to gather your tools that includes the marine weather information the uh, chart plotter navigation software access to tides and current info times of sunrise and sunset, and some guidebooks or websites with similar information. So you've amassed all of that. um, And after you've been doing this for a few days, you know, that's going to come as second nature. You know what resources you want. Um, So once you've collected those, where do you start in planning your cruise for the next day?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So if you're going to be doing inland waterways, you probably should assume you're going to do about 50 miles, 50 nautical miles in the day. You might say, well, you know, I have a fast boat. I can go way faster than that. On the inland waterways, you can't. There's just too many um, no wake zones and high traffic areas and things like that. Some people may be more comfortable with a little shorter. After you've done it for a little while, you'll have kind of your pace. But a 15 nautical mile day is a pretty good starting spot.
0: And that as- can- actually is just to, not to interrupt you, but that is the average we use. Um, almost, uh, Almost without exclusion, really, most loopers, when they calculate how many travel days they had and how many um, miles they went, the average almost always comes out to about 50 miles a day. So you're spot on. I mean, that's, you know, some days, maybe 70 because you're on the uh, inland rivers and there's less places you want to stop and some maybe 25, but um, 50 is a great average. So that's spot on with a recommendation for planning.
1: Sure. Sure. And I think, you know, everybody is a little different. I have met people who go a little slower and a little faster, but you're right. Each day is a little different. On average, 50 is going to work for yep. you. So you can start out by taking your planning chart plotter, just using the measure tools. They all have them. You don't have to plot it perfectly right now. Figure out what's about 50 nautical miles from where you are right now and pick a destination. Um, if you're not set. You're going to double check this later, but that could be an anchorage or a marina. Um, could be a mooring ball, depends what you want. But that's the next step is, okay, where am I going to end up? the next day where is my goal what is my plan
0: and that's um so you're basing that strictly on you know kind of that average 50 mile distance um it could be you're going to select the specifics of marinas and things as we walk through the process but so you've kind of got um a destination so to speak in mind on the waterway um you also suggest finding a place that's about a midway point um, in case you need to stop explain how to do that and, and why that's helpful
1: Yeah, this is a really great point. So um, one great way to help reduce stress is to pick a backup location. I, as you said, I recommend something that's about midway between. And so, for example, take this this example. My wife and I were cruising uh, this uh, just a few months back, actually, crossing the uh, Noose River. And, you know, I had done the planning, I had the weather, but it was a little rougher than I had expected. The waves were a little higher. The period was a little shorter. My wife gets seasick, unfortunately, so she wasn't feeling it. I think our dog was already vomiting at that point. So it was was getting rough. And um, you can imagine, you know, that could be a very stressful event. I'm at the helm. The autopilot wasn't handling it all that well. Boat actually was handling it fine, but the crew not so much. Uh And, um, you know, uh, I couldn't leave the helm to go pull out my laptop and start planning where we might go. Uh, but it wasn't a problem for us. We already knew what our backup location was. Uh, my wife said, "Okay, we're going to the backup location. That's decided." Um, and we, we we diverted. We in that particular case, we went to River Dunes. We had a really nice afternoon. I think we pulled out the bikes and biked around a little bit. That changed what could have been a really stressful event into really nothing at all. I mean, of course, uh, you know, we had to 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 survive a, a small amount of time on the, the rough water, but you know, we had a plan in place. And so I really strongly recommend everyone have a backup plan. What is that backup location? If things go wrong, you wanna just be able to pull over. You don't wanna have to pull the laptop out and and start this whole process again.
0: Yeah, and that's a great example. So you've got your um, intended destination, you've got your backup plan. Um, Tell us about, you know, how you go about plotting the course and selecting your waypoints.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the next thing I do is kind of refine the weather prediction. The weather is such a determinant in, uh, especially if you're sailing, but any boating on the loop. And so I'll start and figure out sort of the wave predictions and wind at, you know, maybe two or three points now along the route, especially if I'm transiting, you know, uh, some major body or something like that, including the tides as well. And then I begin the route planning itself, sitting down with the chart plotter and planning. Basically, I've seen like two different major ways people do this. One is with an auto-routing software um, and several great pieces of software with that. Um, and one is simply to go by hand, placing waypoints. For me, I use an auto-routing software myself, but I still actually go back and check each and every waypoint, even from the auto-router. I just at this point don't find them to be as good as, for example, what you might be used to when you're driving to the grocery store with your, you know, your your phone. I'm not even sure I'm capable of driving to the grocery store without my phone <laughs> anymore. But it's not that good on, you know, on the water. So you really do need to place each point. And actually, at this point, I recommend placing each waypoint carefully, meaning you're actually looking at uh, where. On the water where you want to be, there are spots on the Great Loop that are confusing, where there's a bunch of different, uh, you know, maybe commercial channels meeting up, or military channels, or ferry landings, all at one spot. You know, think about, for example, the uh, Cape Fear River. There's one spot where you know Wilmington, the Lower Cape Fear, the ICW, and the military channel, and two ferry, three ferry landings all meet those can be confusing. Now is the time to place those waypoints really carefully on the right side of the markers, not just kind of in randomly the right spot. Uh, you don't wanna be caught you know, at that juncture with some heavy current and you're not exactly sure which side the marker you're supposed to be on, you know, with a 900 foot container ship barreling down on you, that's the wrong time to be pulling out your planning software. So I place those waypoints you know, very carefully. Um, and then I go all through the route from beginning to end, where I think I'm going to be ending, placing waypoints. That's my next step.
0: Okay. Um, So you've got your route, you've got your waypoints. Uh, The next thing you recommend doing is, uh, in your article, is jotting down several pieces of information that you're going to use for the rest of the process. So um, tell us what types of things that you're jotting down, and, you know, do you have a, you know, a notebook or a log that you keep with you or uh, tell us, you know, kind of mechanically, how do you go about making sure you have access to all of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So now that you've started, you know, your route, it's time to find those key points. I call those key points on your route. And there's a bunch of different types of key points that you're gonna be wanting to look for. For example, locks uh, that you you need to go through, bridges you can't get under unless they need to open for you, uh, rivers that you need to transit, meaning you go up or down the river because the current inlets for sure. Um, military bases, restricted zones. Think about Camp Lejeune, for example, or uh, Kings Bay. Um, Again, these tricky waterway markings like we've talked about, those are really good to jot down. Um, And of course, shoals and and things where you might run aground. Also, think about if you have kids or friends on board, this is also a good time to jot down key points that are kind of more like highlights or tourists kind of things. You know, you're going to be passing by the the Castilla, St. Augustine. And so, you know, we want people to be aware of that. And, and if you have kids, even do maybe a little bit of history stuff with that or make games out of it, things like that. Um, for each of these, you need to, you're absolutely right. For each of these key points, you're going to need to jot down some information for each key point. A couple of different ways to do that. A lot of people can uh, drop pins in their planning software with notes, and that works great, especially if that's going to be with you in the helm, your laptop or tablet. Um, You can just have pieces of paper, that's fine. If you're going to use pieces of paper, of course, you're going to want to jot down the location of that key point. Location usually defined by how many nautical miles from your start. So you're planning route location. Um, Software often will do this for you once you you put in your route. Um, But also, I like to also jot down a couple of key geographical features like it's, you know, half a mile past red marker 18, or just past the Noose River Junction, and things like that. Um, and uh, where to jot it down, if you're not going to put it into your laptop, you can put it down into a notebook, just a pad of paper, and just keep notes, and that's okay. I like keeping it in my logbook, so I have a daily logbook, um, and I, I jot down all the key points for that day, I'm usually on the back of the page. And that way, you know, that it's all there with me. And also we are kind of doing, as you mentioned, the Great loop in kind of stages. So we're actually repeating sections and I can look back in the logbook and kind of see what were those key points.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, most of a lot of the data that you're jotting down about the key points, um, where in the information gathering is that coming from? Is it primarily the guidebooks and websites of that nature?
1: Yeah, great question. So it depends. So let's talk about them kind of one at a time. Um, the locks and bridges is my, you know, might be or are key points that you have to worry about. Bridges that need to open for you to get under. Uh, the guidebooks are going to give you the times of those openings. Um, you do really need to jot that down. Um, I just recently went by uh, Ladies Island uh, Swing Bridge and jotted down those times incorrectly. Unfortunately, and we ended up waiting like three hours Uh for the bridge closed and they didn't have another opening for many hours. So you really do wanna jot those down and jot them down correctly. Uh, And those would be in the guidebooks. Also don't forget to jot down at that time, the exact name of the bridge. Think about somewhere like Jupiter, uh, Florida. There are three bridges, which may have to open for you depending what kind of boat you're driving um, within half of a mile. And if you just say, hey, Jupiter Bridge, they're not gonna know which one you're talking about. Uh and they may not answer. Um, Also keep in mind the bridges are not all communicating on the same frequency uh, or same channel. You need to jot that down. Most all of them are gonna be nine or 13, but not necessarily monitoring the other one. So they might listen to 13, but they may not listen to nine even though that bridge you just passed five miles north in North Carolina or whatever did listen to channel nine. So you really do need to jot that information down. And you're absolutely right. That's gonna be the guidebooks where you're going to look for that. On the other hand, if you think about something like a river, especially an inlet, uh, currents is what you're going to be really worried about there. That's going to be probably coming from your chart plotter. Chart plotters typically will give you that information or one of the other websites that we talked about earlier. A little bit trickier for some things like those military bases, um, something like Camp Lejeune, they're sometimes closed for an entire day and you can't transit that part of the waterway. Um, there are some really good sources like uh, Waterway Guide and some others that do update daily. Those guidebooks that do update daily will usually have those kind of closures. You can also listen to the radio. They typically announce the day before the closure that they're going to be closed. Um, uh, markings on the waterway, again, its another key point to changes and things like that, and also junctures where they, you know, two meet or something like that, or we have choices, a red over a green or a green over red. Again, that's going to be in your guidebooks or your chart plotter. And then shoals. Shoals are a little tricky uh, because some guidebooks, almost all the guidebooks will note the shoals. Some of the guidebooks and some of the chart plotters will give you the latest soundings from the U.S. uh, Army Corps of Engineers, and they'll just pop those right up. Sometimes you have to dig around a little bit more to find those latest depths at that shoal. Um, but at least as a minimum, you want to find out what the charted depths are. At least that's a starting spot. Um, And uh, problem areas are noted on all of the guidebooks. So at least you'll know that's an area that you need to look more deeply in, perhaps in the comments, for example, that people have recently left.
0: Yeah. And I think that's all extremely helpful because when you are doing that, you know, before you leave planning, that's a, a much broader View. It gets a little bit overwhelming to start considering how many areas might have shoaling or, you know, this bridge or, or that channel to contact that lock. Um, so breaking it off into these one day pieces and not really worrying about that kind of nitty gritty planning until the day before you plan to transit that issue. Um, it makes it much more manageable. So if you're out there planning and feeling a little bit overwhelmed, this is going to be very helpful for you because you can kind of see how you break that into day by day planning for that real detailed stuff. So with all of that at, in hand, we we'll still need to select our departure time. So talk about how that typically works.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So now you need to detect departure time. I think a lot of people are going to start at least by choosing about one hour after sunrise. There are certainly some people who sleep in a little later and, and perhaps some who leave a little earlier. You don't want to probably leave much earlier than about an hour after sunrise, though. Um, now you need to figure out, is this going to work? Is your plan gonna work? So you need to figure out the total number of nautical miles. Now this time it's your actual plotted number, your planned number of nautical miles, not the approximation. And there are some parts of the loop which are quite windy. And so your original approximation may not match your actual plan for the day. Figure again, you're gonna go maybe eight knots or so, maybe a little bit faster, or your boat might be a little bit slower even um that'll give you your total time in motion just the nautical miles divided by your speed got to give yourself a little time for every one of the bridges and that can really be as much as an hour it depends exactly what the bridge schedule is and when you arrive also some people stop for lunch that can be a lot of fun maybe you stop on an island to do a little beach hunting or something like that gotta leave maybe an hour an hour and a half for that Um, Add all of these times together and now you have your time to go Um, add your departure time to your time to go, and you finally have your estimated time of arrival. You really wanna make sure that ETA or estimated time of arrival is an hour or so before sunset, at least. Not a problem if you're arriving earlier, lots of destinations on the Great Loop are just super fun. So you arrive earlier, that just gives you so much extra time to enjoy it. If you're gonna be arriving later, you really may wanna reconsider the day, perhaps a little shorter, Uh, Perhaps leaving just an hour earlier might make the difference. Um, The other thing about your time of departure is you want to look at some of these key points. For example, we mentioned bridges, um, and I I, I mentioned the problem I have. I arrived at a bridge like five minutes after its last closing for several hours. My mistake, but you don't want to make that mistake. You want to make sure you're arriving at bridges, locks, um, at a time that they're going to open. Some of them are quite restricted. There are some locks that have two or three openings in a day. Um, and there are some bridges that have large, you know, hours where they won't open at all. So you want to check your key points and make sure you're arriving at a time that they're actually going to open. Guidebooks will help you with that. And, and the, um, a lot of the chart plotting software, once you've uh, put in your time of departure, they'll tell your time of arrival at every single waypoint, including your key points. So you can figure that out pretty quickly. Otherwise, just figure your planning distance in, divide it by your time, and you'll figure out your arrival time. Again, adding in those times for bridges. And, breaks and things like that. Last thing I do want to mention though is inlets. Inlets take particular attention. So if you're going to be running from an inland waterway out to the ocean and there are some other really narrow channels, you mentioned Charleston earlier. Uh, I think it's Elliott Cut outside of Charleston can have some serious (laughs) currents running through that cut. Mm -hmm. And these kind of things can be treacherous. They can be more treacherous than your average piece of water so if you're going to be doing those high current areas, inlets, you really want to carefully plan those moments. Look at the weather, look at the current. For example, is the wind going to be opposing the current? That can really create some treacherous conditions in some of the inlets. If you're not exactly sure, you really shouldn't hesitate to call, for example, Towboat, one of the Towboat companies, or uh, their CTO as well. Even if you don't have a subscription with them, they're super friendly, and they'll be glad to tell you the conditions of the inlet Um, either by phone or VHF radio. You can also of course look on the guidebooks again. um, There's lots of comments for those that would be treacherous about when they would be treacherous. So for any of those kind of special areas um, you really want to spend some extra time now and even consider shifting your time of departure an hour later, two hours later, so that you'll catch it at slack tide and it'll be way more comfortable to go through that inlet or that cut.
0: So Bob, with all of that information in hand, any final steps for you know planning or for double checking your route at this point?
1: Well, at this point, you've kind of double checked everything. You know, you, you've got a departure time, you kind of know all the bridges and when you're going to be arriving. I did want to mention one other thing, which I think is super important, which is having a crew conference. So at the end of, you know, it's in the evening, probably the night before you're going to depart, whenever is comfortable for you after dinner or whatever, sit everyone down. And go through the day's plan. And that can range from, you know, hey, we're going to be passing these two or three interesting things, look out for them today, but should also include, you know, when we're going to leave, when we think we're going to arrive, where you think the problem uh, points might be. And of course, where is that backup location and what are the conditions that are likely to cause you to, you know, decide to bag it for the day and go to your backup location couple of reasons for this first of all i feel that everyone on board should be able to you know say uncle and call an abort if they're not feeling comfortable with what's going on and so they need the information to decide you know what happens when i make that call and the other thing is again it's a real stress reducer you know just telling your crew look here's a couple of things that might happen tomorrow if this goes wrong don't worry we have a plan this is the backup plan that can really reduce the stress level of your crew, even if you never actually execute your backup plan. Just having everybody know they have the power, they can call it, and it's planned. It's not a big event. There's not uh, anything to worry about. It can really reduce the stress and, and basically increase the fun, which is the goal here: is to, to have a fun day on the water every day on the Great Loop.
0: That is absolutely the goal, and. Um... Bob, I really appreciate you uh, presenting this information. And for anybody who's not a member, um, if you join, you will have access to the article about this. Um, I think this is really important information because I think there's a little bit of a mystery surrounding this, particularly for those newer to boating or those new to long distance cruising. As we said, it's not something most people would do for a Saturday afternoon out on the water. Um, So we've gotten lots of requests for this, and it's for whatever reason seems to be a hard thing to kind of for for most people who do this now as second nature, it's a hard thing for them to really put their finger on because we get bogged down in the details of the weather and the weather apps and the chart plotters. Um, so I just love this step by step approach to how you plan for the next day. Best guess in general, how long does this process take you when you're planning for the next day's travel?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I find that um, it does take some skill and practice. Uh-huh. So the first time or the first even several times you're going to be sitting down, I really think you should leave a couple hours uh-huh. to go through all these details, every point, all the weather. After some time, however, you will find your favorite sources. You'll find that you know your chart plotter really well. And now for, my, for myself, for example, less than an hour and on some routes that I'm more familiar with that are a little easier, even less than half an hour could uh-huh. be enough to get the day's plan done.
0: Yeah, and this is something you can, of course, practice before you leave for the Great Loop if you are just doing some weekend cruising, um, you know, start to learn those sources and and follow this procedure for just a regular day out on the boat and it can really start to shortcut that process. I also, a lot of the couples on the Loop find this kind of a great, um, they can share in this planning process. Um, you know, and it's a great time to really kind of hone in on what everyone on the crew would like to see and do the next day. So again, great topic, very well presented, Bob. I really appreciate you joining us today to get this information out there. I think it's going to help lots of people.
1: It's my pleasure, Kim. I'm glad to have been here and to to, uh, share this with you.
0: Thanks for doing it. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us once again on Great Loop Radio. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, safe cruising.